into our At The Movie series. We're in our fourth week, and today is probably my favorite day so far, as we're going to be in the movie Brave. And I'll tell you, I have loved Pixar movies since the very first one I saw back in 1995, uh, Toy Story number one. I was a college student, but I had brothers that were 11 and 12 years younger than me, so I had to take them to go see this movie. Uh, it gave me an excuse to go watch a cartoon as a college student. Maybe some of you have used those excuses yourself. But ever since then, I have not stopped watching Pixar movies. I love the Pixar movies. I don't know what it is about them. I mean, the com computer animation is amazing. The way they can put the fine details on it. I'm not sure if you've seen some of the ones uh, in Toy Story 2 with the, um, you know, bullseye licking the guy's fingers and there's a Cheeto dust on it. Those little details are just so crazy how they can do that. Uh, in Monsters, Inc., where the hair is moving on the bodies of, uh, of Sully and Mike and and it just, it just blows me away what they can do with that. But the other thing I've always liked about Pixar movies is there's honestly a message in every movie. I mean, if we wanted to, we could probably have done this summer, instead of doing at the movies, we could have done something like the gospel according to Pixar and done every one of the Pixar movies and gone through it. Every one of them have a message that's in it. And, you know, as I watched Brave, it's sad to say that I was actually, of all the big summer blockbusters coming out, um, I can say that Brave was, uh, was probably number one on my list of wanting to see. And uh, having kids, I had the excuse to go with it without being made fun of, uh, to go sit by, by myself and watch something like that. But um, the, uh, the idea of going in and watching it, as I sat there, I saw so many sermon illustrations that were, were tightly woven throughout. I mean, just they were all in there, and I was thinking, man, we could do so many different things. The first thing I saw was I saw a mother and a daughter having some rebellion issues. Um, it, it, it was funny. One of the uh, friends of ours, uh, he has, uh, his wife wanted to take their kids to go see Brave. And uh, the two daughters were all for it, and the son didn't really want to go see it uh, that badly. And she kept saying, well, why don't you want to go see it? He goes, well, if I want to see a mom and daughter fight, I could sit here at home. And uh, so that, that was a, a good illustration for me. And I thought, how perfect of a, of a thing we could talk about, just rebellion in itself. And if you watch the movie, or if you haven't, I don't want to spoil it for you, but a rebellion takes place, and throughout the rest of the movie, reconcili reconciliation tries to take place. And seeing that, that in itself was a sermon. I saw people um, that wanted to break tradition, and that tradition was holding them back. And in that thinking, th that was a good thing because some of the tradition was, but at the end, it turned out some of the tradition was actually there because people actually knew what they were doing at one point in time. And so that idea of, of should we keep tradition or should we break tradition, that was there. I saw archery. I'm not sure if you guys are into archery at all, but there was the idea, of, and that's the reason why we have the targets up and around. You see it, the... the the three guys trying to compete for Merida's hand, and in the process, uh, one misses the target, one uh, misses badly on the target, and the other one by accident hits it. And the idea of archery and missing the mark, that in itself is a sermon. And I'm not sure if you know about that, but I'll talk about it reason why here in just a minute. But there's so many different things there. Even the fact that power would create uh, something inside of a man that would change him from what he was into this beastly creature. And those things, every one of those, I had to say, do I want to talk about that? Do I want to talk about that? But I'm going to go back to the archery thing first. Because I'm not sure, if, are any of you guys into archery at all? Some of you guys are. 
I have never been good at that. I, I'm kind of like the guy that when you pull back and the arrow goes away over here and you're trying to figure out how to keep it up against the... I, I've never been able to do it. I don't know what it is about it. Maybe I... Actually, we were just talking about it back in the back. I didn't realize there was bows for right-handed people and bows for left-handed people, and I'm left-handed, so I've always probably used the wrong bow, and that's, that might be the problem in it all. But the, the idea of, of archery and how it all comes in, did you know that if you shoot in archery, that how far off that you miss the mark, the bullseye, is actually where the word sin came from? The word sin was originally an English word that meant to miss the mark, and it was used in archery. So when we say sin, and we talk about sin in church, and people talk about, oh, you're all sinners, it's because we've all missed the mark. And it's funny because if you really look at it, you look at the verse, uh, Romans 3.23, it says, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of glorious, of God's glorious standard. Or where it says that at, basically we have all fallen short of God's perfect mark. He set up a mark for us and we've missed it. But why? Why have we missed the mark? Have you guys ever thought about that before? I mean, you've probably gone to church. I would assume this isn't your first time being in church. If it is, Welcome. I don't know what else to say. Um, but if you've been in church, you've probably been told that you're a sinner. Or you've probably been told about sin and that we have sin. Unless you went to a real kind of fluffy church, didn't want to tell you you were a sinner. Um, but you probably heard about it. But what does that even mean? Why are we called sinners? What have we done? And what was this mark? And all these things kind of came to mind. Even as I was sitting and watching the movie Brave. Why are we sinners? Why are we called sinners? And I got to thinking, you know, if you open up your Bible and you get past the table of contents, it pretty much tells us from there on that we're sinners and why we're sinners. I mean, there might have been a couple pages there right at the very beginning that didn't say much, but by the time you get to Genesis chapter 3, Genesis being the first book of the Bible, by the time you get to Genesis chapter 3, from there on, we're sinners. We have missed God's mark. And if you got here a little early, you got to see some of the Adam and Eve skit by the skit guys. Um, just the idea of, of the first sin that took place. Because they were the first people who created sin. They had it made. They had it made. But in the process of having made, they had everything that they needed. But they didn't have everything they wanted. You ever felt like that before? Have everything that you needed but didn't have everything that you wanted? There was one thing, one thing that God said they couldn't have. That was it. He said, everything else is yours. And we're talking about the Garden of Eden that has complete and total perfection. There's nothing there but one thing right in the middle. Don't eat from that one tree. That's the only thing I'm asking you not to do. And that's when the first rebellion happened. The first rebellion happened and they disobeyed. They rebelled and the action of disobedience and rebellion trickled down to each and every one of us. And I guess I shouldn't even use the word trickle down because really it flowed down pretty heavily to us. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 tells us when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death so death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. Why do we sin? Well, it all came down right from there. It kind of spread out and took us all over. The thing is, Do you ever wonder if we should have maybe possibly learned our lesson by now about the consequences of sin? I mean, sin is missing God's mark. God has his perfect mark. We've missed it. 
Sin has created separation between us and God. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. They had communion with God. They were in the garden. They were walking with him. They were talking with him. And then they ate this unidentified fruit that we all assume is an apple. They ate the apple. Everything changed. They broke communion with God. They got the boot from the garden. Don't you think? I mean, parents in here, when we've done something really, really dumb in our lives, it generally will carry over. and We make sure to be quite clear with our kids. You don't want to do this because these are going to be the consequences. Adam and Eve had perfection right here. Now they don't. But they can remember what perfection was like. It wasn't like God wiped their mind. They knew what it was like. So you think when they had kids, they say, guys, don't sin. Okay, just don't. Don't do it because if you do, there's going to be problems. This is what we had. This is what we have now. Trust me, this is better than this. Because this, there wasn't any pain. There wasn't any suffering. There wasn't anything at all. This here, this, this is full of pain. God actually said, hey, women, you're going to have some pain when you're doing childbirth, thanks to Eve. They're going to say, you know, we're going to get thorns in our hands when we're out there picking weeds and stuff like that. You know that tundra out there that we live on? I'm not sure if you guys go pull weeds in your front yard, but just think, if Adam hadn't sinned, it wouldn't have that. It would be fine. It would be good. Everything would be good, but that didn't happen. Everything fell, and it was all because of that. You think that Adam and Eve would have told their kids that, and their kids would have listened and said, yeah, I really don't like pulling weeds, so I'm going to just not sin. But that didn't happen. And unfortunately, just three chapters later, so much sin had happened, from Genesis chapter 3 to Genesis chapter 6, that so many things had happened, God decided, I don't even like my creation anymore, and I'm going to wipe them clean from the earth. I'm going to wipe it all out. Everything's going to be gone. That's when we learn about Noah. He finds favor in Noah and says, you know what? I'm going to save mankind through Noah and his family. So he wiped out everybody else. Every other living creature except for the ones that got on the ark. Everything's wiped out. You would think that Noah and his family, seeing the power of God wiping out the entire world, they would say, you know what? Maybe we should stop sinning. Maybe sin shouldn't be something that's a part of our life anymore. Maybe we should just follow God and stop rebelling. But they get off the ark. They do their thing. Obviously, sin prevailed. Humanity prevailed. They didn't stop sinning. It continues on from there. We learn about Moses just one book later after Genesis. And Moses goes in and he leads God's people out of slavery because all the sin that's taken place, he leads... God's people out of slavery, in the process of doing it. God's people see the plagues go across all the people of, of Egypt. They get to see God's hand with their very own eyes, see all the things that take place. They get to see God part a sea that is a couple miles wide, and they get to walk across it on dry ground. You would think that would be pretty impressive. That they would say, there is a God, we should have communion with Him, and we should be cool with this. We should stop sinning. But they get to the other side. They start complaining. They don't have what they want. They don't have everything that they need. They want to go back and become slaves again. They start whining about this stuff. And as we look at that, we think, where is it ever going to stop? We should have learned by now. We live in a world. Any of you ever turned on the news before and been like, oh, that's great. I'm glad that guy molested that kid. Oh, that's great. I'm glad these negative things are always happening. And people are, no, it's because we live in a world full of sin. 
You would think, though, by now we would have learned our lesson. And you would think that trying really hard to be good would pay off, right? It hasn't. It hasn't. And we keep looking over and over and over again. And we look back to the Israelites. And they, they're in the land, uh, 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 in the wandering in the desert. Because Moses had done some things wrong. And, and they said, you know what? You guys aren't going to move yourselves into the promised land until all these people die off. And they finally die off. And you think, finally, finally, Israel's going to have it all together. But they don't. And within 500 years, 500 years of being in the promised land and being under God's rule and being under God's law and, and listening to what God has to say, they finally say something. They have judges that are helping them because they keep kind of wandering away from God and then being brought back to God and wandering away from God and rebelling and then coming back and doing back and forth and back and forth. Finally, about 500 years into it, they say to, to one of their, uh, their prophets, his name was Samuel, they say, hey, Samuel, um, we want an earthly king like everybody else has. That's what we want. We don't want God to be our ruler anymore. We want an earthly king. Um, and it's kind of a funny thing to think about because their excuse was, is, well, I want, we want what everybody else has. Ever used that excuse before? Well, I don't really want God to be the king of my life because I want what everybody else has. Well, that's what Israel says straight up to Samuel. And Samuel's like, I don't, I don't think you want that. I don't think you have any idea what you're talking about. But I'll go talk to God about it. And so what he does is he goes and he goes to talk to God about it. And in the process of getting ready to go talk to God, I think what was going through Samuel's mind and, and you know, what, what kind of went through my mind as I was studying this, why would you want a human leader over God being your leader? And I think part of it is, is because God has this, this amazing ability to be everywhere. And we think that if we take God out of our leadership role, if he's not leading us, then he won't be over us and telling us what to do and demanding that we do this or whatever it might be. We won't have that oppression almost feeling on us. Instead, if we have this human leader, we might be able to manipulate him a little bit because humans can be bought off, you know, just put a little bit of money under the table, whatever it might take. And, and even in that, that human can't be everywhere. So if I'm over here, I can kind of be the king of my own life because as long as I'm not upsetting him or I've paid him off, I can do what I want. God can't be bought, and he can't be boxed into this, this idea of where we want him to be. So I think that's where they came from. And they said, they basically said the same thing in this movie. You know, as I was thinking about it and, and looking at it, they said the same thing that Meredith said. She said, I want my freedom. And I'd give the Scottish accent, but I'd be really bad, and you guys would laugh, and that's not what this is about. And uh, the the. You know, I would love to have one. That's a really cool accent, but I just, I just can't do it. And, and she says, I want my freedom. And the mom says, are you willing to pay the price that the freedom is going to cost you? Samuel says the exact same thing to Israel. They say, we want our freedom from God's reign. And Samuel says, are you willing to pay the price of what it's going to cost you? Let's pick it up if you would for me. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8, if you don't have your Bibles, we'll have it up here on the screen. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation today. So 1 Samuel chapter 8, as you're opening up there, I want to open up in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for who you are. And I want to apologize now for the way that I have rebelled against you in so many different ways in my life. And Lord, seeing the history and the history and the history of all the things that rebellion caused, you would think that we would have learned by now, but we haven't. But God, we're thankful for your son, Jesus that gets past that rebellion, that gets past those things, that came to die on the cross for us. We're thankful for him this morning. I pray, Lord, your word speaks to us. I pray it all in your name. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting in verse 5, it says, Look, they told him, and they being the Israel, 
You are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased with the request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied. And I want you guys, if you underline your Bible, for it is me they are rejecting, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. This is that rebellion taking place right here. It says, ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but I solemnly warn them, or but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. So Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who were asking him for a king. This is how a king will reign over you, Samuel said. The king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow his fields and harvest his crops. And some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and your vineyards and the olive groves and give them his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and and you will be his slaves. When that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king that you are demanding, but the Lord will not help you. This next part is what really floors me, because that sounds like a pretty, pretty stiff punishment to ask for an earthly king. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, even so, you take our daughters to be slaves, you take our sons to be army and get killed and all the things that are going to take place in battle, and you take our stuff and you make us your slaves. We're okay with that. We still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. So Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people said, and the Lord replied, Do as they say, and give them a king. And Samuel agreed to send them home. Were they willing to pay the price to have their freedom? Their freedom from God? Obviously they were. At least on paper. At least as Samuel read off all those things, they said, sure, that's fine. It's because they had not yet experienced it yet. They hadn't gotten there yet. They said, yeah, you know what? I'm okay with that. And the reason for it is because they wanted to be king of their own life. There's another Disney movie, Lion King. You guys remember that? There was that song, I Just Can't Wait to Be King. I think that's what they were walking around singing. I think they were walking around saying, I just can't wait to be king of my own life. When you were a little kid, maybe you did this, maybe you didn't. I did. I always wanted to say, or I did say, I just can't wait till I'm the dad. Because I'm going to make the rules. And the rules are going to be like this. I make the rules, I break the rules. Anybody in here ever drank from the milk carton? You don't have to admit it, I understand. I understand, that's, that's punishable offense. But when you're the dad, it's not. It's not a punishable offense because the first person who drinks out of the milk carton is generally dad because dad made the rules and he can break it. There's no way to punish him. And I think that's part of what the reason was with the Israelites here. They thought to themselves, you know what, if I can be just king of my life, I can make my rules and I can break my rules. And if I don't have God bearing down on top of me, we went yesterday, uh, we got to go up to Glorietta and spent the night up on on Friday night and we drove down, uh, I want to say it's Highway 14, that scenic byway that goes through Madrid, 
and, and down through Cedar Crest. I'd never been to Madger before. I'd only seen it on Wild Hogs, the movie. And uh, we went through there, and it was an interesting town, to say the least. Uh, but one of my children had to use the restroom. Uh, there's no public restrooms in, in all of Madrid except for in the biker bar. So, um, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, feeling out of place, I walked into the biker bar. Uh, I should have had some other shaps on or something like that, but I didn't have any with me. Uh, walked in, and, and Peyton had to go to the bathroom. So he, he went in, and I was standing there with him, and it's just one, one stall little bathroom, and I'm just kind of standing there with him, and he was taking his time, and uh, I was wanting him to hurry, and he wasn't. And, and as we were, we were standing there, I'm looking at all the graffiti on the walls, and I'm reading the things. And, and one of the things I saw in there was God was created so we could punish ourselves. Ah. I'm like, I'm standing in the middle of a biker bar, so I, I shouldn't take this as theology. But that was a very interesting statement to me. Um, and and I, I'm looking at that going, wow, that is, that is something I've never honestly heard before. But that's because we're... We are wanting to be king of our own lives. So if we can say that if I can get God out and I can say that he doesn't exist or I can even say that I just created him to punish myself, well, that gives me free reign to make the rules and break the rules. And I looked at it and I saw, man, you know, that's so interesting to think about with what we do. And I look back to the Israelites and they wanted this king. So Samuel gives them a king. Does anybody know who the first king of Israel was? Saul. Very good. Man, wow. I'm impressed. I am very impressed. It was Saul. And as a matter of fact, uh, Saul turned out to be a good king at the very beginning. And uh, he had all the right features. He had all the right looks. Look what it says in 1 Samuel 9, 2. It says his son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. This guy had it made. He was good looking. He was tall. He was strong. He was big. He was intimidating. He was going to be a great king. He had all the looks that we would desire in what a king would be and you know what he was humble to begin with he, he was unbelievably humble to begin with as you read but the problem was is he was human he wasn't god and he had these desires and as things happen pride builds up I'm sure you've had that before there's times in our lives where we're we're humble and we come into a situation and then pride builds up and as pride builds up it creates some problems as a matter of fact, within a month of being named king, he got into uh, battles with the Ammonites, and he won. And when he won, he thought to himself, hey, I'm a pretty good king. I'm a pretty good king, and you know, some things started happening. In 1 Samuel 13, God says some things. No, he doesn't really listen, and he does his own thing. 1 Samuel 14, he has more success in battle, which leads to 1 Samuel 15, where he re- literally rebels against God because God says, do this. I want you to wipe out all these people and don't take anything for yourself. Don't leave any of them alive. And, and he says, all right, I'll kind of do what God wants, but, you know, I'm going to do my own way because I can make the rules and I can break the rules. I'm the king. And guess what happens? God gets upset with him and says, you know, I told you what to do. I told you how to do it. And now I was looking for a man that was after my own heart. And we're going to cut you off, we're going to cut off your lineage, and I'm going to switch the kingship to a totally different line that somebody will be after my own heart. And even though Saul got to to lead Israel for over 40 years, his line stopped there because then it picked up with a guy by the name of David. And many of us know David, many of us have seen the David and Goliath stories or heard about it when football games are on or whatever it might be. All these different things we know about David. And David was a man, the Bible says, after God's own heart. The problem was that pride crept into David's life as well, just like it creeps into any one of our lives. 
when we get into it and wanting to be king and this idea of I'm in charge, I can make the rules, I can break the rules. Well, he had lots of wives. But there was one that he didn't have, that he saw that he wanted. And you guys, if you don't know about the story about him and Bathsheba, I challenge you to take a look at it today. 2 Samuel chapter 11. But he broke the rules and he rebelled against God. And you know what that taught me as I look at that story? Is that rebellion always leads to pain. Rebellion always leads to pain. You look throughout all of history, rebellion always leads to pain. Pain for ourselves, pain for somebody else, but it always leads to pain. And that pain could be now, and it could be later. Anybody in here ever rebelled against the speed limit and felt the pain of a speeding ticket? Mm-hmm. Probably. Anybody in here ever rebelled against their parents and felt the pain and the sting of a belt across their backside? Uh-huh. I had a belt with my name on it. Literally. And it was used on me a number, number of times. Pain comes from it. Sometimes it's physical pain. Sometimes it's emotional t- pain. Sometimes it's both. But that pain also, also causes pain and loss and separation from God. David repented and got his life back on track. After experiencing the pain, you can read the Psalms, some of the things that he said and some of the pain that he felt. And the, it goes on from there and, and his son takes over. Anybody know what his son's name was? Solomon. Very good. And as Solomon took over, he, he took Israel to the peak of its earthly glory, built all kinds of stuff, had all kinds of great things that took place, but he too allowed pride to take over. I make the rules, I can break the rules. I'm the king, I can have wives. And he started marrying women from other areas and in the process of doing that, building treaties between other countries. And that, as we look back now, caused some serious problems, caused some serious issues because after Solomon, his sons split the kingdom. And there was Judah and there was Israel. And as you go through it and you look through all the things that took place, all the kings of Israel and all the kings of Judah, only a couple of them were considered good because evil took over. And rebellion took over. And because of that rebellion and because of that evil, they were taken captive by the Babylonians. They were taken captive by the different countries that were around them. And God was pushed aside. But the great thing in all of that, as you look through all of that history, and you look from the very beginning with Adam and Eve, and you push your way all the way through the Old Testament, and even into the New Testament, the whole time, God is there. God has never run away from them. Though they are separated, and man wants to push God away, God has not left. He is still there, and He's been there the whole time. Human rebellion after human rebellion, God is still there. I mean, our rebellion is basically trying to run away from him. And why do we want to do that? Because we don't want his laws, and we don't want his rules, and we don't want his desires, and we don't want his will. Because we want to have our own will. And that's what rebellion is all about. That's what the whole idea, even of this movie Brave, as you, as you watch it, if you get a chance to, it's a little darker of a Pixar movie. It's a little bit different than anything else they've done, but the storyline is there that there's a rebellion that takes place and throughout the rest of the movie, they try and reconcile their differences. There's a splitting of the tapestry and they try and connect it back together. And that's the same thing that happens with us. When we rebel against God, there's a splitting of the family tapestry and we need to connect it back together. Unfortunately, we can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. And we think that we've learned over thousands and thousands of years 
of people rebelling, you'd think we'd learn that rebelling isn't going to get us anything except separation from God and pain in the end. But we don't. We don't. We continue to think that we can do it on our own. We continue to think that we, we can do something because we want to be in charge. And we think that we know better than God. We think we can be gods of our lives. We think we can be the king of our lives. We think that as long as I make the rules, I can break the rules. But John fifteen five tells us that apart from God, we can do nothing. Let me ask you. Straight question. When was the last time you did something that was amazing, that was God-honoring without God in the picture? When was the last time we did anything that amounted to much at all without God in the picture? When will we ever learn that God is God and we're not? When we can we learn that He has a plan for our lives and we need to give ourselves over to Him? That if we give ourselves to Him, like we talked about last week, even with the, the Romans 12 too, give our bodies over to, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. If we do that, that our lives will be better for it. Psalm 68, 6 tells us God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. But He makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. He makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Basically saying when we rebel against God, we are separated from Him. He pushes, or, or we push away from Him, and we don't want to be close to Him. And really, we can't be close to Him because of that rebellion. And it's not it's His nature to have a relationship with that. And the pain will come. And you know what? Some of you might be in here going, well, you know, I don't think you understand, Matt. Sin's fun. Yes, I do understand that. Because I, too, am a sinner, just like you. I understand that sin's fun, but only for a time, because we will pay the price for rebellion. We will feel the pain either now or in the future, or even both, because like Romans 6.23 is, we have missed God's mark, and we are separated from our sins. If you look inside your bulletin, you'll see Isaiah 59. We're not going to read through it, but it basically tells us, it basically tells us that we are separated from God by our sins. We are separated from Him, and we'd like to blame God, or we'd like to blame His law. Because if you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, who did, who did they all end up blaming? They all ended up blaming God. Well, God, you sent me this woman. Well, God, you put that serpent in here. Oh, well, God, you put the tree there. We blame God because we think that it's somehow his fault. Romans 7.14 tells us this, though. So the trouble with the, is not with the law or with God, for it's spiritual and good. The trouble is with who? Me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. If you look back one chapter earlier, Romans 6.23 tells us, sin gets us what? Death. For the wages of sin is death. The great thing about that verse, and I always get a little giggle out of, out of little kids. When we did DBS a couple weeks ago, um, I used this verse, and I talked about this verse has the biggest butt in the Bible. And uh, they all giggle, thinking, you know, but. And uh, that and another verse I want to share with you today get, uh, get giggles out of little kids. And it's this. Psalm 103, 13 and 14 says, Just as the Father had compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Not rebel against him, those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are butt dust. And they've always thought that was really funny. Because if you put the emphasis in the wrong place on butt dust, it almost sounds like, you're passing gas. 
um, that he is mindful that we are gas from your body. Um, but the, the whole thing there, in a tension breaker type situation here, those are funny for little kids. And I, I think part of the reason why I even share that is because we get so worked up about, oh man, I am a, I'm a sinner and God is just this big angry judge that's slamming his fist down on us and he's trying to keep us down and he doesn't like us and he hates us. And that's not true because he loves us very much. He hates the sin though that's in our lives. And I think sometimes we just have to have that understanding that that big but that really is in the Bible right there, it changes everything. Because if that verse stopped there, for the wages of sin is death, period, end of the story, close the Bible, we'd be in trouble. But, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For the wages of sin is death. We earn sin because of our death. Because, we earn death because of our sin. But the gift of God, the gift, that free gift, means that we can't earn it. We definitely don't deserve it. Most of us don't like to give our kids gifts at Christmas time if they've been rebelling us from us all Christmas or all December long. That's generally the one month we get our kids to behave. We're like, hey, you better, you're not going to get. You know, you know what I mean. But really when it comes to a gift, you don't have to earn a gift. That's not what it's about. That's not what this is. And, and God says that. It's a free gift of God. And it's through Jesus Christ. Not our hard work. Not being less rebellious than the next guy. Not being only partially rebellious. But a gift through the death, burial, and resurrection of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift. There's that word again. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So no one of us, so none of us can boast about what, you know, there's so many people think that, that God has this magical scale up there and all of our good works are on this side and all of our bad works are on this side and it all works out into this, as long as my good outweighs my bad, I'm good to go. But God says, no, 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 no. You're, you're missing it. You have missed the mark. You've had every opportunity to hit the bullseye. And you may hit it sometimes, but the one time you missed, that means you're not perfect. And when you're not perfect, you're not good enough for me. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die. So many people think, you know what? It can't all be about God's grace. What if I, I mean, I'm just trying so hard to do my best and be perfect. I guess the best way for me to illustrate it is this way. Um, anybody here excited about the Olympics? I'm really excited about the Olympics. I love the Olympics. Growing up as a kid, loved watching the Olympics. Loved being a part of it. Loved the whole idea of nation versus nation. It was always the U.S. versus the USSR and just that whole thing and just, you know, communism versus democracy and all the fun stuff. Just pumped into it. And, you know, when USA decided to let professional basketballers, basketball players play and we just dominated the world, it was just amazing. It was just so excellent. But I love watching the Olympics. There's a story about a guy, a uh, true story, in 2004, he was the best, his name was Matt Emmons, he was the best rifleman at 50 meters in the world. He'd already won gold once that year, and he was going for his second gold. All he had to do, he had such a lead, all he had to do was hit the target, and he was going to win. Win gold. That's how good he was. So he pulls up the gun, this is him by the way, pulls up the gun, Pulls the trigger. Bang. Bullseye. But a zero comes up on the scoreboard. What? Turned out he was aiming at the wrong target. He aimed at the wrong target. Dropped to eighth place. Did not win gold in 2004. 
He was an American rifleman, could have won gold, dropped to eighth place because he was aiming at the wrong target. That reminds me of us. Because I think when we think that we can be good enough, that we can do it, we are aiming at the wrong target. We are aiming at the wrong mark because it's not about how good we can be. Our goodness and the things that we want to do that are good and the things that we want when, we, when the church tells us, hey, this is what God wants from us, He wants from us in a way of love, not out of obligation. He wants it because we return it to Him because we love Him because of all the things He's done to us. That is the reason why we try to be good in our life, not because we're trying to earn His favor because we can't earn His favor. Romans 8, 3, and 4, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. Because we're sinful. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to the sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. That perfection that needed to be met had to have an offering who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Galatians 4, and 5, or 4, 4 and 5 says, But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that He could adopt us as His very own children. God sent His Son to die on the cross for us. He sent His Son so that we could have life. Because we had rebelled and we had this unperfect, nasty goop that was all over us. God didn't want anything to do with us even though we think we're clean. You know, it's funny. The reason why I, I go into uh, the biker bar bathroom with my son is because, you know, there's paperwork that has to be done. And uh, the paperwork question at the end is, is Dad, I'm a clean. Just going to be flat honest with you. I'm a dad. If you've got kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Anybody ever let their kids try to do it themselves? It can get a little disastrous. There's been times in our lives that I've walked in and going, oh. And in that process, you think their big smile on their face is, hey, I'm clean. I'm all good. And you're looking at them and you're like, no, I'm not even going to wash you. You're going to wash yourself. I'm going to turn the water on and let you scrub that off because that's disgusting. And, and that's, I think, what God sees in us. We stand before him and we're just dirty and nasty because we have rebelled and we have said, I want my freedom. And God says, you understand what the cost is going to be if you want your freedom? And they, we say, yeah, and we're okay with it until we experience the pain, until we experience the separation, until we understand all that. We're covered in mess. And we say, hey, God, we're clean. And he says, no, you're not. So he sent his son to die on the cross so that we could be clean. So that his blood could wash us clean. That rebellion that continues to go on in our heart. We're going to sing here in just a second uh, a song that, that we've been singing uh, off and on through, over the ne- last couple of months. If you listen to K-Love or any of those kind of radio stations, Christian radio stations here, um, you've probably heard it uh, called White Flag by Chris Tomlin. And I want to read the words for you. But this is what it says. It says, the battle rages on. We're constantly battling with ourselves. We're constantly battling with God. As storm and tempest, those violent storms or disturbances, they're roaring. We cannot win this fight. We are constantly fighting with ourselves. We're constantly fighting with God. And we're constantly fighting with the things that we want to be king versus letting God be king. And we're going back and forth and back and forth. We cannot win this fight. 
In Romans chapter 7, verses 15, Paul says, why do I do the things that I don't want to do, and why don't I do the things that I should do? It's a battle that rages on, and it's been raging on for centuries. But it says, inside our rebel hearts, we're laying down our weapons now. We have these rebel hearts from the very beginning. We want to rebel. We want our freedom. We want to, I mean, the the picture of the movie just screams so loud and clear about this idea that we want to rebel against the authority that's over us. It's a natural thing. It happens over and over and over again. And as I look at it, I think, you know, we sing this song and the chorus goes, we raise our white flag, we surrender all to you, all to you. My challenge for you this morning is this, to surrender to God. Stop rebelling against him. Stop saying, hey, God, I got this all figured out. Say, God, I have nothing figured out. I am mentally messed up. I am physically messed up. I am spiritually messed up, and I'm going to surrender all that over to you because I can't do it on my own. That's what this song's about. I want to invite the band to come as I pray, and we're going to sing this song, and I want you to sing it as a prayer. Saying, God, we are fighting this battle but we surrender all to you. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for who you are, and we're thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. We're thankful that, that God, you took time and love and patience with us. You know that we are rebels. You know that we are going to challenge everything you put before us. But, God, you still love us anyway. You still sent your son anyway. And you've given us the opportunity to accept him into our lives, to admit that we are sinners, to believe in him, and to confess to others that we have given our lives over. God, this morning, if there's anybody in here that needs to do that, I pray that you're already speaking to them. I pray that you're already working in their hearts. And that you bring them to the point of repentance this morning. I pray it all in your name. Amen.